Welcome back to the Leaders Who Learn podcast produced by Claremont Lincoln University, a college focused on socially conscious graduate education. On Leaders Who Learn, we explore new, different, and urgently needed leadership that makes a difference. I'm Dr. Lynn Pretty. And I'm Dr. Joanna Bauer. We're your hosts. And today, today we have a really special, influential female leader I've had the privilege to know as a friend for more years than either she or I will let on. She's brilliant, particularly at startups. You have her bio already. In her current role, she's in the Middle East, brain specifically. Dr. Susan Saxton, founding president of the American University of Bahrain. Susan has multiple decades as a leader in higher education, both in the U.S. and abroad. Susan, welcome. How are you this evening? Just wonderful. Wonderful. It's wonderful to talk with all of you. So Joanna and I have a list of questions. I'm going to jump in with the first one. We love your candid responses, um, particularly about higher edge, but broader than that as, a, as a, a woman in leadership for a long time. Given that long career of leading in higher ed, both in the U.S. and overseas, so what have you learned are the most important attributes of leadership, and then particularly as a woman in leadership? I think probably the most important thing is to be yourself and to, you know, be genuine. Um, you know, leaders don't have all of the answers, as you will recognize, always learning. And so it's important to use all of the tools in your toolbox. So not just the ones that you read about in the textbooks, but the ones that make you who you are. And so I think uh, when you're genuine, you get a chance to sort of filter uh, situations through your own, you know, your, your own priorities and, and your own personality and your own character. And so I think being genuine is, is definitely one. Uh, probably my favorite is about being engaged and uh, lately uh, talking more about showing up. You think uh, being out there uh, doing things that maybe aren't even in your job description, they not just help you to know your your role better and to know the roles of the others. But again, it gives you insight, maybe not to answer a question that you have today or tomorrow or the next day, but again, giving you insight and helping you build that toolkit. Somewhere down the road, uh, you know, maybe you can pull whatever tool that is uh, out when you need it. So I think probably those, those two things, being genuine, uh, certainly always learning, and definitely showing up and being engaged. Showing up. Really, really good phrase. So as a woman, anything that you found you've had to tailor as a leader over the years? Oh, many, many, many things. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, you know, I, I, the textbooks, uh, you know, call this situational leadership, you know, but, but really it's just adapting to your environment. It's just trying to be successful um, given the circumstances you're in. Right. So uh, if I'm working with a university in the United States or in Europe or, you know, some other place and, you know, come to the Middle East, I can apply lots of what has worked for me in the past. But, uh, you know, it's a new situation. So, you know, talk about always learning. <laughs> you know, you apply what you know has worked for you before, but, uh, you know, you're ready to adapt and make exceptions. So, um, you've, you know, you've mentioned, um, you know, as a woman, I, you know, I, I, I typically don't see it so much as, um, you know, female traits and male traits. Um, I have, uh, of course, in the Middle East and, and elsewhere, learned the value of, um, you know, having uh, female friends. Um, it's different than having male friends. 
Um, so that's a little bit different. Um, but I think, again, all over, you have friends um, who are, uh, you know, of both genders um, or all genders and, uh, you know, you have different relationships with them. So I don't see it so much as a, a male-female thing, um, but where I am particularly now, <laughs> it's maybe a little bit more than I'm used to. <laughs> So before Joanna jumps in, one, one other question, um, and, and, and one because I know you so well, I'm, I can't wait to hear the answer to this one. So across all of your positions in your career, which ones stand out as defining you best? <laughs> wow. Uh, that is a tough one. I yeah. will tell you from way back when, when you and I um, were first meeting, um, <laughs> I noticed you didn't want to say how long ago that was. I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> you know, the grandkids will give it away a bit. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with the, not giving the, the dates. Um, I, I was a very young dean. And one of the things that I, I learned very quickly was, um, you know, being an administrator, for very experienced faculty. And at that time, uh, a good percentage of the faculty reporting to me were in their 60s and their 70s. So you can imagine, I was in my mid-30s. And, um, you know, it, it was a very uh, awkward um, and a bit uncomfortable situation because, you know, um, it's just the reporting structure alone. Now, I recognized that I didn't have the extensive career in education. Um, you know, and, the, and that they had, you know, far more experience. But I took the position that um, if I was to be good at my job, I was going to have to learn a lot from them. And I think we all know, um, listening to our staff, um, learning from our more experienced staff, however uh, old they are and whatever experience they've had is always a, a good thing. And so I really went to them and said, you know, I'm, I've got some really great skill sets and I think I can do a good job, but I'm going to need your help. This was a real defining moment for me because it was a situation I'd never been in. And um, it gave me a lot of confidence. So if you think about it, for all people who are going into a job that, you know, they're not totally sure about or something that's new or it's the first time you've ever been a provost or a president or a CEO, um, you know, I think um, going in with that attitude gives you some confidence. And for me, I've had lots and lots of new things. As you mentioned before, I, I focus on startups and often in places I haven't uh, been, I haven't lived or, you know, where I don't know the people or don't know the school or starting up a school. Um, you go in with your toolkit and you go in with your confidence. But again, you, you know, the defining moment for me was going in and saying, okay, let me absorb what's here. <laughs> let me apply what I know, but let me also ask the people around me to help me to do my job the very best I can. I remember so some of those. Yeah. Moment. And of course, this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this one's teaching me uh, patience. <laughs> <laughs> I remember conversations back then and I'm uh, the conversations right now. Joanna, jump in. Yeah, that leads perfectly to a question that I'm curious about. So talking about st startups, you're the founding president of the American University of Bahrain. Uh, tell us about that. How does that fit into who you've become as a leader? How, why did you decide to found that university? Tell us a little bit more about that. Ah, okay. Well, uh, so first of all, there was a group here from my former employer that was setting all of this up uh, several years before I even came. Uh, I had been working on startups, turnarounds, um, 
pre-IPOs, pre-sales. <laughs> uh, that was kind of an area of expertise, uh, sort of, you know, the, the, the chaos theory there. <laughs> uh -huh. But, um, you know, places where you need leadership, you need a change of culture, um, you know you have to prep it up um, for some event, like I say, like a sale or something. That, that became what I, I knew how to do. And so uh, when I got this call, I actually didn't know I was coming over to do this. So, um, but I came over to, uh, to meet the folks and um, it was just amazing. I don't know how many people know about Bahrain, but as Dr. Pretty has learned since she's been here, it's just a gem. And I fell in love. I came over here and just loved it here. Um, I will tell you, you know, as a leader, uh, it, it, it was very different than what I was used to. Um, you know, um, startups are its own kind of animal, you know, mm -hmm. and, and people are looking to you uh, to, you know, to move on everything, to, um, you know, to help the institution stand up and then progress um, with no precedent, um, mm -hmm. sometimes with very little resource, um, sometimes, you know, with people you don't know. Um, but I have to tell you that I had a most amazing experience here, and I don't mind kind of bragging about this, even though it, it, it isn't my, my norm and it wasn't what I expected. I had the most amazing and supportive investors here. The boards uh, I had here, board of directors and board of trustees, were different than any other board with which I'd ever interacted. Uh, they um, guided me and um, supported me in so many ways, I, I, I can't even count them. And they continue to do so uh, to this day, although it's a little bit more um, formal now because now um, as we mature, of course, the board has to behave like a board. <laughs> uh -huh. um, but at the time when I needed operational help, at the time when we had no contracts and no lawyers and no marketing, and I really needed just anything. I needed people here. I needed to know who to, who to contact just to you know, find guides. Uh -huh. And um, they were amazing. So this was extremely unique. And, and honestly, it's the reason that I'm still here today. Um, tremendous support. And like I said, I just, I, I fell in love with the country. I fell in love with the support I got from everybody who came here. Um, and the, the school itself, you know, the university was just so welcome here. Um, you know, we have so many of them in the U.S. And, and I've worked with them, you know, all over the world and so many of them in Europe and, you know, but here um, there weren't so many of them and people were really excited about this one. And there's nothing that energizes a leader by, uh -huh. you know, people around them who are just so excited to, right. to have you here. So sorry, very long answer, but uh, you can see I'm, I'm very passionate, very enthusiastic. No, and I love that because that's really what a startup needs too. And what I'm, I'm piecing together from your answer is the need for resilience and determination because the, the answers aren't automatically there. And I want to go back to what you said about asking for help or uh, seeking support. And um, with perhaps young female or diverse leaders trying to change the climate in the U.S. leadership or, or elsewhere, what counsel would you give to them? And you talked about asking for support, but sometimes that, that doesn't lend the support and that could sort of undermine the position of the leader. What, what counsel would you give to, to help that? Uh, that's a great question. I, I still, you know, go back to being, you know, to being genuine. Um, one thing I, I try not to do uh, when I come into a new role and it helps me to garner support um, and, uh, maybe, I don't know, sometimes this works a little bit better 
for men than for women. Um, is that um, you, you need to gain their respect pretty quickly. Uh -huh. You need to um, gain their confidence and let them know that they can count on you, that you're going to be able to do this job. I think, you know, when you start something new, um, I think something very helpful is to have a quick win. I try to do this sometimes for the, uh -huh. you know, spirit decor <laughs> when you have new staff. <laughs> Um, to be able to celebrate wins is really great. You have to have some quick ones. When you do a startup, it's not as easy as doing that. So instead of being able to create quick wins, you have to figure out how to um, get them to understand your vision really quickly and get them excited about it. Look, it's a sales job. Yeah. <laughs> and, you yeah. Know, it, it just is, and and you know, and not in a in a in a, a false way or any kind yeah. of a you know, negative way, but, you know, to be able to, to sit with somebody and share your vision, this is why I mentioned, you know, before, you know, it's not like you can pick up and, and, and go out and, and, um, you know, sit with somebody in a, in a restaurant, um, here in this country of, you know, of the opposite sex, you can't do this kind of thing. Um, so to get somebody to know your vision in two minutes or less, you know, that elevator speech yeah, elevator or, pitch, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or to get them interested, it's not the easiest thing to do. But if you are genuine, and in my case, if you are so enthusiastic, people get that really mm -hmm. quickly. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, you know, everybody has their individual ways of doing that. You know, for me, look, as a, as a president, you have to manage, um, you know, many operations. You have to manage a P&L and you have to do a lot of things sitting behind a desk looking at, at data. But I go out there. I like to go into the classroom. Not these days. Unfortunately, I can't. But when I first started, I loved being out there. I loved watching every brick that went up. I, when classes started, I would go into the classrooms. I would disrupt the, the class, of course. Faculty <laughs> didn't like that to begin with. But, you know, but the students, they got to know who I was. And, you know, it, it, it gave uh, people a sense that I actually did care about what was going uh -huh. on. That I wasn't just sitting behind my desk. And I know this is probably a fairly common concept, but you just have to keep doing it if that's what's in your heart. And this is what I mean about being genuine. I think anybody who knows me, if you talk to anybody here, one thing they'll tell you is that, you know, I love this institution. I just, you know, it's, it's, it's most amazing. There's so, so many things about it that um, I want to improve. Um, there are so, so many things about it that I know can't happen yet that are just sitting in my head for five years down the road. But regardless, even the things that aren't going totally well, I love taking on the challenge of fixing them. I, th I think that genuineness really shows through. I know that's true of, uh, of Claremont Lincoln University as well, that you really can tell the students, the alumni, the faculty, the administrators were all just so engaged. And that's, that's palpable. You really can tell that genuineness. Um, Lynn. So, so Susan, before we leave AUBH, American University of Bahrain, just to just tell people this startup, <laughs> when did you land in Bahrain? When did you, was your first arrival in Bahrain? My first visit was November 2018. Okay, November 2018. How many, and, and the university has gorgeous buildings, folks, beautiful buildings with, steeped with meaning, um, sports complex. Were those there? No, no. There's a Nothing lot of dirt was there. there was dirt. Okay. November 2018. Wow, um, so, that wasn't too long ago. I know, no, no. And when did you when and, and, and they had had struggle getting going, but then when did you um, accept your first class? 
uh, fall 2019. Wow. Okay, folks, you got that, people? And how many buildings is on the, this extraordinary campus? And you guys have to look it up. It's we beautiful. Have nine buildings, and it's 75,000 square meters. Um, and it's, it's just gorgeous. But we it, didn't actually have a, a staff. I think the, um, I was employee number one, but I think the first staff member, I think, started April. Mm. It, it took what my first right. visit um, was a get to know you visit. It wasn't when we actually started. Um, I didn't technically become an employee until the following year. So, <laughs> so that, so when I say this, this, this influential woman knows how to create something from nothing uh -huh. fast of yeah. excellence, it, it really is true. I wanted to do that because now you accepted students in the fall of 19. Okay, this is not that long ago, folks. And then gaboom, you're in the midst of COVID. Tell us in the Middle East how you responded to COVID in an undergrad university um, with students on campus. Well, uh, you know, the, we, we have to follow the country mandates. Um, this is a little bit different than in, um, you know, some of the, the larger countries where, you know, they're governing by states or regions. Um, here, you know, we're all under the, uh, the ministry structure. So um, we don't always, um, you know, we, we have to follow the same rules, essentially. Um, they um, closed the campuses um, and asked us to kind of, you know, think about what would be, um, you know, the best uh, next step for the students. Um, we were prepared for that because we had this new campus and it was very um, set up to be very high tech. And um, we did think ahead. We have always thought about online. Um, as uh, Dr. Pretty knows, I, um, I go way back in the online world. So this is always in the, in the back of my, my head. But that was part of the vision. That's where I wanted to go uh, down the road anyhow. So we had um, you know, a great uh, infrastructure. And um, we very quickly adapted the, um, the curriculum. Uh, in, in the format that we, I think we would call the emergency remote teaching. So it wasn't, you know, instructional design led content um, that we know, um, you know, follows certain, um, you know, certain rules and certain quality assurance. Um, but we did a, a very uh, good job and our faculty were just fantastic and supportive in getting everything up and running. So we actually didn't miss a day. Now we, um, we used several different platforms. Um, at that time, we thought it would be best to go with what we thought was most user-friendly um, for both our faculty and our students. Um, we have since moved uh, to Canvas and we use um, uh, Microsoft Teams as our um, communication and work channel of choice, uh, both for our staff and our students. Um, but Canvas is our platform now. We were using um, a combination of things back then, including Moodle. Um, and, uh, and in some cases, Zoom even, um, but uh, you know, whatever was working best for our classes. So it was great. And I will tell you, um, the faculty did a nice job in, in, in several areas, but in particular, um, they took a lot of the fear out of the students by spreading out the assessments. Um, in some of the systems, the non-US uh, or American style systems, um, you have you know, a great big exam at the end and, and exams cause a lot of stress for students. Uh, so one really great thing that they did uh, among others was to um, kind of separate the assessments uh, in the American style system, um, which is different from other styles that have you know, these really, um, uh, you know, these end of term great big exams that uh, cause a lot of pressure. Um, we gave uh, more assessments. So we took a little bit of the pressure off the students. Um, some of the schools here went to pass fail, 
because um, testing online uh, was going to be difficult for them. Um, we were set up, we went with Proctor U and did online testing. I, to my knowledge, we're the only ones in the country who, who did that. So um, we were really proud to um, be able to do that for our students. The other thing is um, they did hear, um, I think most of the schools went to, or a lot of schools went to a pass fail. We didn't want to do that. We didn't think that that was in our students' best interest. But again, because they don't totally understand, um, you know, the, the implications of that, um, you know, all the time in, in the, the different countries, um, we had to explain, you know, why it was important for uh, our students to continue getting, getting grades. And so, um, it, so it was actually turned out to be um, a great experience. Our students uh, actually did better than they did in their first term. And um, I think they, uh, you know, they, they got a lot of individual attention. Um, there were some, um, you know, additional tutoring they were able to receive. So they, they really did, did pretty well. And, and we were really proud of the fact that uh, we were set up to do it. We prepared it. Um, it was of, uh, you know, great quality. The students enjoyed the experience and we were able to keep things uh, going when um, it was very difficult to do so. Yeah, this, that student-centeredness is really clear for anyone who um, explores the American University of Bahrain, just like Claremont Lincoln University. You can tell when an institution puts the student first, uh -huh. learning at the center, and then everyone molds around that and the future success. Susan, clarify for everyone some of the big misconceptions about women and leadership in the Middle East. Uh, oh, that's a tough, tough question. Um, I, I don't uh, consider myself to be an expert in that particular area, but I will, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not sure about um, a, a conception, let alone misconception, <laughs> but, I, um, but I will say this, um, there is, in this country, in Bahrain, there is a great focus on uh, female leadership. I was really surprised. I, I didn't know that because, you know, um, if you don't have experience in this part of the world, uh, it's easy to um, watch the news and, and, and believe that women are second-class citizens here. But um, I have not found that to be the case. Um, and, and I have worked in this region before um, and, and know that there are lots of different point of views. One thing that I absolutely do not do is I don't put my um, uh, American projection on any other country. That is one thing I have learned not to do in working all over the world. Um, but in particular in, in Bahrain, I was very surprised to find um, the level of support for female leadership here. I mean, look, they, they hired for their um, university here, which is, um, which is, you know, funded by sovereign wealth funds. So it's like a, it's almost like a public private type of a, of a partnership. But you think about it, they hired a, a female American to come over and run it. I, I think that's a very loud message, uh -huh. right? There. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, I have met some amazing, amazing leaders here, some um, who have come in as, as expats with a specific expertise and some who are um, born and bred right here in Bahrain. And they are amazing women. I, I actually met um, my um, and I think I just introduced uh, Dr. Freed the other day. I met my what I consider to be my doppelganger <laughs> here. Um, <laughs> who had a very similar experience early on um, as a female, um, you know, being kind of kept uh, from different things in, in, in her life um, and the additional challenges of being a female and overcoming some of the mentality that was here at that time in the region. Um, but I think um, she would say, as I say, and many of my um, 
uh, my colleagues here would say that, that this is uh, an, an amazing country um, which gives everybody um, uh, you know, a, a great opportunity to succeed. Um, expats as well. It's, a, it's um, about 50% uh, expats as I understand it. It is. Having been there, I, um, I would encourage people to really explore Bahrain. It, it is welcoming. The men and the women are creating a country and a, a, a place in the world for the future, future leaders, uh, a future society that we can look to. I was impressed. Um, it, it's just lovely. That's not a word I use often. It was just lovely experience. And the people here are so nice. They Aren't are. They so they're nice? incredibly nice. They are, they are, they go out of their way to help you. There's respect. There's genuine care. Um, they're proud of their country. Very so big. They pull together and, and you, it lifts everybody up and you can feel that as soon as you um, step off that airplane. So do you see some, uh, or what changes do you see in leadership in the Middle East now? Do you, do you feel that there'll be more, or what do you see happening? Uh, in terms of the signing like the leadership, of the, the Middle, uh, Middle East leadership, do you see any changes happening there? So, um, you know, so I just, um, you know, I have a, a new, uh, less than two-year experience with Bahrain, so mm. I I feel like I'm getting to know Bahrain. Um, I've done some work in Saudi um, before uh, a few times, um, and I've been, you know, in different places, Dubai and uh, and others. Um, and I've been around the Middle East, of course, Israel and and, and Egypt and such. But I don't um, consider myself to um, be an expert in in any of those areas. I I would say this, you know, the the more success we have with different types of leaders, I. Mm -hmm. I I can't help but think um, that that's got to progress um, the region. Mm -hmm. The region is um, it, it, very respectful, I think, of, of, of other regions in, in general. Um, so, you know, here in Bahrain, um, they, you know, believe, um, a, again, in, in, in peace. And um, they're very fond of Americans in particular. So, I'm, I, you know, I've been pretty lucky <laughs> since I'm here. Um, as I mentioned, you know, the university itself was quite welcome, but myself also as an American, um, quite welcome as well. So it's nice to go to a country that, um, that thinks so highly of um, Americans and the American <laughs> system of education. That in and of itself, I think, um, gives you the, the idea that, um, that, that the kind of the melting pot that we have in, in mm -hmm. America is, you know, potentially welcome in this country, if not the other countries um, as well. That's great. Well, we do have a, a, a pretty standard last question. Lynn, are we ready for the last question? We're ready for the last question. <laughs> uh, so Susan, thank you so much. This has been quite inspiring. I love your focus on being genuine and your quick win uh, of <laughs> being, having a leader, asking for that support and so on. So with your vast experience working in a lot of different areas, I'm sure you've been an inspiration but who or what inspires you? Well, that has to be just one answer. No, no, <laughs> it could be that's who or what. It could be anything. <laughs> okay. Um, so for starters, um, I'm going to say my husband is a tremendous inspiration. Mm. 
um, when he faces difficult situations, he faces them with um, strength and, and, and this, this fortitude is, um, it, it's amazing to me. Um, so he is definitely an inspiration. Um, he is the reason also that I'm able to stay here. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Lynn knows um, he has some challenges that he's facing right now. Um, and yet, not for one second is he saying, come home and be here with me to face yeah. those together. You know, so I don't know that a lot of people get that kind of opportunity, but I am so incredibly grateful for that. So he is definitely my inspiration. Um, you know, um, I get inspired by, by students and in particular by uh, my staff um, in any uh, institution I find myself, but in particular this one, again, we have faced so many challenges since I'm here. And um, I love the fact that they love coming to work and coming to campus. And, um, you know, it, this is not a place where you find haters. This is a place where, where people are boosting you up all the time and they're happy with what they have and they feel blessed. And I'm so glad to be able to bring them something, but they bring me something. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> they truly inspire me on a day-to-day -day basis. They are the reason that I literally showed up on campus <laughs> with, um, on, on medication from, from having um, <laughs> a, a foot injury. <laughs> I mean, I literally thought about that and thought to myself, they showed up for me. Gosh, I'm definitely uh -huh. showing up for them. So they inspire me to, to do what I do every day and to continue to lead this really wonderful institution. And I'm so grateful for that. 